0: subway sports talk. Dan, Dan, Dan clear of the closing doors please. Mm here we go subway sports talk my name is peter kennedy and i am your host thank you so much as always for tuning in to sst on apple podcast app spotify wherever you listen to podcasts we appreciate you the same and if you listen to our picks on instagram tiktok twitter wherever you saw them we appreciate you even more
1: and yeah. maybe,
0: maybe you want some money with us too there he is my guy with me all football season of course pat boyle was good my brother What's up, babe? We got back
1: to the winning ways. Oh, it was a good Sunday. And, you know Should have been a couple of 5-0s, and O's, but we take it and we move on.
0: Yeah, well, I don't want to even speak too soon because my Packers minus 6, the final leg of my last teaser here, is still in progress technically, still in play. But I did text you early on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon right before 1 o'clock starts perhaps, uh, and said, I'm feeling four and one. I'm feeling a four and one. You're like, all right, come on, five and oh. And I was, I, I, maybe I didn't want to be greedy. Maybe I did see the future, but it's looking like two four and ones from you and I, Pat, which, uh, come on, can't beat that in week two. So semi-lackluster on the week one, but we trust the process out here. Two and three, two and three, but for the both of us on week one. Week two, we come out swinging. Easy money. Oh, yeah.
1: Nothing but haymakers, baby, and you know a bad beat away from going five and zero. Oh, Clyde edwards Hilaire. I could, I could kill him, I could kill him, I yeah. could go to Kansas City and I could kill him. I'll tell you <laughs> that for fumbling, I don't play, she never fumble. On, okay, I could kill him. Hey, but hey, what what was what the one loss you had, by the way?
0: Um, the I had a loss that was the Rams. I had the Rams minus three and a uh, half by, uh, by a point. Yeah, and I even had them. Um, I had them three and a half early. They ended up at four and a half, like right before game time. So, I should have counted my blessings, but it didn't much matter, did it? You know, three and a half was half wasn't enough either. So, I, that one's, we'll get to no regrets at the end. There's a new segment we're doing uh, every week where we're going over our picks and going over any sorts of gambles and fantasies that we're doing uh, throughout the football season. We're going to regret some stuff. We're not going to regret some stuff. I don't think I regret that one. You know, the Rams, we're not going to talk about them today. So, why not just mention it real quick? It felt like they were in control. They got a little lucky with some, some, uh, goal line woes from Carson Wentz and the Colts, especially early in that game, but it still kind of felt like the Rams should have handled that better, no?
1: Yeah, they they had some mistakes late in that game where, you know, they 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 build the lead at half and, you know, they're basically up 17 6 at one point and then they then they crept back. Oh, and yeah, and it was the punt, the punt from their own end zone. Yeah. They snap it off of the setback's leg and it's a you know, a touchdown in the end zone. And then I was thinking they're gonna lose the game outright. And then they bounced back really nicely. And, you know, we're able to, we're able to see that victory through uh, with a field goal. And then they picked off, you know, Eason, you know, you think maybe they, they wanted to try to pour it on there and, and, you know, get a touchdown on the board to put the game away. They go three and out and then they, you know, they basically trusted their defense not to give up a hell Mary, but yeah, it did seem like they were controlling the game and, and that punt and the, you know, the fumble in the end zone or a touchdown, that's not only giving away possession, but it's giving away points all in one play. So that was that's what, that's what kept Indianapolis in the game.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's really a great way to get into our conversation for today. So to set up the podcast here, our, our main segment that we're going to start off with here is going to really touch on the fact or the questions that we all pose after week one, every season, but obviously in particular this season, where we say, hey, we know this might be an overreaction. We know this might not be truly true and that every game is going to look like this, or this team that looked great in week one is going to look great throughout the whole season, right? Like, we all do this thing in the beginning of the season where we talk about this stuff, and then how many people go into week two and fall into those traps? I think, based off our picks, Pat, we didn't fall into those traps, so maybe we could sit here with some confidence going through these topics here, but uh, the Rams play that you just described with the punt, it reminds me of the Steelers beating the Bills where they had the block punt scoop and score touchdown against the bills, which sealed the deal. And uh, you wisely bet on the Raiders going to Pittsburgh after the Monday night long overtime game. Didn't matter. They were going East and you, you wisely laid off the Steelers and said, I don't trust that offense. They won that game off fluke and solid defense and some bad Buffalo performance. So why should I trust that? So I think you kind of nailed it right there. And, Even just like for a random fantasy thing that happened to me in week one, I lost the game by exactly two points, and I had a running back fumble in my last game of fantasy, Nick Chubb, you know, going down to the wire. So You you can't base your season off of freak plays like that. You know, if you're the Patriots, you can't base your season off Damian Harris fumbling and the Dolphins winning by one point. There's a lot of games to be played here. We're going to go through that um, off the jump here.
1: Yeah, real real quick, Pete. I just I want to go through that. Oh, you want to go through the the picks we
0: made? No, 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 no. Go through what what you got. What you got?
1: Oh yeah, so I was gonna say. You know, with the Raiders, I, a point that I always that I've been trying to keep in my head for betting games now the last two years since we've been doing this is usually when you get a bet that seems like a lock and it loses, it's usually an a perfect storm of an overreaction from the two teams' previous games. And even though Vegas beat Baltimore, I feel like everybody discounted it because, you know, the last five minutes was was an absolute shit show Mm -hmm. and Baltimore was banged up. You know, no Peters, the both running backs are out. So people are like, oh, that's why they beat Baltimore. And then everyone, you know, rightly thought Kansas City was going to beat them too, which they should have. But, you know, you get that overreaction and you get the overreaction then from the Steelers beating Buffalo, which I said, I don't think they even played that well. They get the block punt return for a touchdown that swung the whole game. Buffalo played like shit, and I said, you know, when Pittsburgh is able to get in front and use their defense to their advantage, that's how they're going to win games. They're not going to win a game with their offense. And another thing, too, is if it wasn't a major storyline last year, people just forget or people don't realize how good certain aspects of a team is until a couple of weeks into the season. Nobody realizes how good the the Vegas Raiders' pass rush is. They are legit. Max Crosby is a fucking Crazy. animal. That defensive line is the real deal, you know. Abram and Perriman, like that—that that is a solid defense that has is hopefully now getting some credit. So I was, you know, I was like, you know what, Vegas is going to play good enough defense to win as long as Carr doesn't turn the ball over. I think this isn't this, this line should be like even, It should be an even game. And I was like, I, th- I like their chances to, to cover and win. And you know, like you said, sometimes it will work out, sometimes it won't. But uh, it was, you know, it, it worked out in that case.
0: Absolutely, and, and there was many of spreads that were. Exactly that same concept there. And we actually crazily both bet on one of them, right? The main one, we talked about it on our podcast. And then in our uh, picks on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok, wherever you saw them, we both stated it. So I actually took the Vikings plus three and a half saying how much I hated that bet. But the spread was just so damn stinky that I had no choice but to take it. That's how I felt. And it worked out. Now that easily could have not worked out. It easily could have been a Vikings victory as we saw. And you wisely didn't take the bait fully. You almost, you only like nibbled on the hook, but you got off just in time when you took the Cardinals money line, um, and they snuck out a win. So we both ended up on the top of that, uh, on top of that bet there. But everybody out here talking about the Cardinals this, the Cardinals that, and then everyone who bet the Cardinals goes home unhappy, right? And even with the Ravens Raiders ones that you're talking about here, it was weird because no one was giving the Raiders credit, but no one was really giving the Ravens much love either. It was like both of those teams came out of that Monday night game negative for some reason, even though Derek Carr looked great in a lot of ways and the Raiders' offense was cooking in a lot of ways, the defense, as you just mentioned. But the Ravens weren't getting love as a t- team that, like, should have won week one. They were getting looked at as they're getting buried. They're they're hopeless. They're so hurt they're going to do nothing for the rest of the season. Oh, they got this hard schedule. They're going to be 0-2. They're not going to be able to get back in the division race. And now look, you know, so now we're hit, sitting here in week two all hell is already breaking loose in the league, and that's why we love it so damn much. And uh, and that's just the tip of the iceberg on some of these overreactions. What's your thought on the whole idea of it? Because I know you and I obviously are heavily invested in the sports media world where we're locked in, we're making our own content, we're listening to a crap ton of content and all this stuff. Everybody seems to be aware of the overreactions until like Friday, Saturday, and Sunday morning when they're actually making the picks or making their predictions and they just fall for them again. What what happens in that time frame, Is it just like people trying to fill innings? What's going on?
1: Yeah. Just in terms of, uh, in terms of what, you know, overreactions with picks and stuff and with the
0: spreads. Well, no, I feel like it's a really popular episode to do on the first Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday after week one. Oh, let's talk mm-hmm. about the biggest overreactions, things that we think aren't actually true. And then they talk about all this stuff. And then when it comes to Sunday, everyone picks the the Steelers anyway, everyone picks the Cardinals anyway, you know what I mean? Like, That it's just like everybody doesn't even listen to their own words. Like, what happens with that, with that whole time frame?
1: Yeah, I I think, you know, just purely from a a sports betting standpoint, one, it's the comfortability of, you know, what Vegas has him as a favorite, they must have him as a favorite for a reason, you know. And if I parlay, like, for example, in a parlay, you you know, a lot of people are like, you know, what I like this team, like, I like the Buccaneers or whatever, but I'm obviously not going to take them minus 700. So let me find a team that's like minus 200 and I'm basically getting even odds in. And like, I, you know, I basically just need this team to win. And I think that's the case for a lot of things and a lot of other things as well. You know, like you said, people say, there's the overreactions and then going into the week, you're like, well, you know what? It is Mike Tomlin. He is a great coach. They're at home. Uh, you know They'll cover They're cover, they'll cover. It's only five and a half. Um, you know, they can win by a touchdown and you don't realize how much, of a spread five and a half points is it's a fairly large spread yeah anything more than four points is is a pretty big spread when you consider how many backdoor covers there are on the nfl and how many games like we said where the rams feel like they were in control of that game the entire time but one bad slip up on special teams and that's the difference in them covering and not so i think that's you know those, those two reasons are big reasons why
0: yeah and even i think back to uh joe house is on the ringer and he does a little FanDuel read, you know, where it's like, oh, this same game parlay, you get $10 back, whatever, you know how how those things go. And he had a same game parlay idea for the Washington Giants game on Thursday night where he actually wanted the same game parlay uh, the football team money line with the Giants plus three and a half and the football team to win between one and 13 points. And I was like, that's absolutely insane. (laughs) And then it, like, it happened. And it It hits. hits. it's, It's to your point where, like, you see three and a half. You're like, ah, three and a half. Come on. It's nothing, right? Everyone's going to be winning by a touchdown here and there. No, like these games come down to three points quite, quite often. Uh, Yeah, And
1: and another thing too, really quickly is I think a lot of people tend to overanalyze injuries a certain, a a lot of the times. Mm. And I did it with Baltimore. I mean, that being said, Kansas city with the chiefs, I was probably going to, you know, I was probably going to take the chiefs regardless, even if Baltimore had a fully healthy team. But again, people look at, that Vegas Steelers game again to hit on that one they say oh no Josh Jacobs Vegas isn't going to do anything it's right like running backs it's not like Josh Jacobs is is fucking Jim Brown you know what I'm saying he's not he's not Derek if Derek Henry's out for Tennessee right that's a big difference Josh Jacobs been Josh Jacobs is a good running back but him being out for Vegas does not automatically eliminate them from winning a football game so I think that's a big reason too. people overanalyze uh injuries to certain positions that can be replaced.
0: Yeah. And there's really one to three guys on a roster who will move the spread. And like, actually, if you take out quarterbacks, there might be one, there might be one guy on every roster who moves a spread more than half a point. Maybe like there, there, if you legitimately take quarterbacks out of the conversation here, there are a lot of teams who might not have a player who move a spread more than half a point. You know what I mean? Like, so that's to your point. You, oh, they're, They're one linebackers out. Like, I can't bet them. Like, no, yes, you can actually. Like you might not even, (laughs) you know, you might not even notice that the spread didn't move and Las Vegas, not the Raiders. They know. They know. They know. They know. Uh, But that brings us. I'm
1: I'm sure like, for example, like if Aaron Donald misses a game for the Rams. Yeah, that's like, he might move a game a half a spread and that's, and that's that's the best defensive player in the NFL.
0: Right. And then everybody be like, oh, I don't think I can bet on the Rams today. No Aaron Donald. It's like, yeah, well, they're still like a really good Secondary is still so legit. <laughs> they're still awesome, and they might win. And Matt Stafford might throw for three fifty and uh, five touchdown. Well, maybe not. He didn't look that great. But anyways, let's let's get because we're we're like now bouncing around the subject. Let's get into the subject. We're mentioning teams. Let's talk about it more specifically, more pointed here. So this is based off the overreactions from Week One. We saw a lot of wonkiness in Week Two. If you were looking into those things. Now we have a little bit more. We still can't put too much into it based off of what we saw, right? Because we just don't know yet. It takes four, five, six weeks sometimes to really, really, really understand a lot of his team. So, Pat, I'm going to nominate teams to you who had a different performance from week one to two, and you're going to tell me uh, which one was the biggest overreaction now or which one now is. did we learn the most from? It's kind of a tricky topic, but I think we all, we all understand the point here, right? So- We have the Seahawks who looked good in week one and beat the Colts. Then they come out and blow a huge lead against the Titans. So the Seahawks are nominated. The Titans are now nominated as we thought they were hot garbage against the Cardinals. And then they put off a ridiculous comeback with Derrick Henry's incredible performance, and they win a game. They're one and one. We have the Cardinals who were the talk of the town after week one. Got by the skin of their teeth against the Vikings, who everyone thought was bad. So we have the Cardinals nominated, the Vikings nominated, then the Ravens, who everyone was wanting to bury with all their injuries and all this and all that. And then last but not least, we have the Saints and the Packers on the flip side of their week one. The Saints came out in week two looking terrible. The Green Bay Packers so far with three minutes left in the fourth quarter here looking pretty damn good. Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones, quite the Knights. So out of all those teams, Pat, what stands out to you that now looking back after week one, you can't believe what week two brought us or what was the biggest overreaction perhaps?
1: I would say the Titans uh, because just how badly they got beat down by the Cardinals and people, I I heard a lot of people say, Tennessee's defense, they might miss the playoffs. Look, as again, I'm super high on the Cardinals. So that was, I like, again, I, I thought they were going to cover. I thought they were going to win. I did not think they were going to blow them out again. How many times with, In the NFL, games get out of hand And then teams try to throw their way back into it And then it just gets completely out of hand It happened with Green Bay, New Orleans It happened with Tennessee and Arizona Tennessee's offense is scary good They're still a phenomenal offense And any offense that has Derrick Henry behind it Is going to beat teams into submission at times Which is exactly what they did Um, You know, Took them all the way to get to overtime To do it against Seattle and a comeback win on the road But that offense is still unbelievably good and then the fact that, you know, people love to discount Ryan Tannehill for whatever reason, the guy's been like a top 10 quarterback. When you look at his numbers, you look at his quarterback rating, you look at his touchdown to interception ratio, he's been tremendous. So yeah, their defense is going to struggle at times this year. And it could ultimately be the reason why they don't get out of the first round of the playoffs, but, That offense is still phenomenal. So that was an overreaction. Um, And again, when they're running the ball like that, they can beat anybody in the league. We saw them go on that miraculous run in the playoffs. They can beat anybody. Anybody can beat anybody in every given day. But especially so the Tennessee Titans, I think that was the biggest overreaction was, you know, saying that they're done after their week one blowout.
0: I I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, some of these are easy and some are not right. And I didn't feel comfortable betting the Seahawks Titans game at all. I had some, some friends who were on the Titans with the points and all power to them. I was not ready to make that decision. That being said, they had this offensive performance here with this big comeback without really, really getting Julio Jones and AJ Brown involved. AJ Brown lackluster game. Julio had over a hundred yards, but it wasn't like they did all this damage in the air. So the improvement from week one to week two is palpable, and you could still now imagine this offense hitting a higher cylinder still when the pass game really, really comes to fruition here because A.J. Brown's not going to be getting shut out. He's not going to be getting these seven fantasy points uh, week in, week out. He's going to get in the end zone. He's going to get his 100-yard games. He's going to get involved here. He's going to get frisky, right? It's going to be before you know week four probably in the next two weeks where Julio and A.J. Brown both get 100 yards. Right, so I'm I'm so so with you on that, and we talk about new coaches all the time, right? We talk about oh, Arthur Smith is in Atlanta. It's going to be an air show, or it's going to be this. It's going to be all on all cylinders for the Falcons, and it takes a minute. Well, we weren't talking a lot about how the Titans have a new coach, and maybe it'll take them a minute to get back on their feet and figure out what their strengths are now with this new offensive system. You know, obviously it's probably relatively similar, but you get the idea. So I'm with you there. That one makes a lot of sense. Do you put any stock now into the Seahawks and blowing this lead? Or is this more of just the Seahawks being weird and always being in weird games and, you know, winning when you think they're going to lose and losing when you think they're going to win. Like, I feel like that's just the Seahawks MO at this point. We should never be shocked by any outcome in any of their games.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got to back up my, my take on them for, you know, for a good reason P is because they, we've seen games like this out of them. Um, numerous times, you know, going up against Colt McCoy in the New York Giants last year at home and losing 17-12. There's nothing out of the realm of possibility, I feel like, on any given day with the Seahawks. And, you know, I told you, I think that window with them and Russell Wilson is closing. They've had a bad offensive line for years, and since the Legion of Boom left, the defense has never been what it once was when it was as scary, dominant good as it was, you know, historically good. And, uh, you know, let's be honest. We talk about guys not moving the needle that much you know, I think one of the guys that could be throwing that conversation is Bobby Wagner. I mm. had 20 tackles, 20 tackles, 16 of them solo tackles in that game against Tennessee. Like he is, he is a legit stud. And, you know, again, you, you take one player out from teams on, you know, from a lot of teams, it's going to make a difference. But if you take out Bobby Wagner, I think this defense is borderline mediocre. Right. So I, I think again, at times Seattle is, is, I wouldn't say poorly coached because Pete a great coach, but just their execution and their ability to put away games is poor. I mean, they let teams back in it, I feel like, so many times. Um, so, I mean, I'm not going to say overreaction now and say Seattle sucks. But, again, you know, that, that's a game they definitely had to win. And, you know, going into the game, I thought Tennessee could easily cover and win. Once Seattle had a 24-9 lead, I was like, oh, maybe not so much. Maybe, you know, I was starting to think maybe Tennessee is, you know, struggling a little bit. That's why it's a 60 minute game. So, you know, I think it's, again, you're going to get a, a little bit of both. Now, when you go into next week, when you go into those teams, next games, you're going to say, Oh, well, Seattle, they blew that lead. Maybe they can't be trusted. And uh, you're going to say Tennessee's back. And, you know, you look at week three, then where the Tennessee Titans, they play the Colts at home and they're five point favorites. I mean, obviously a lot depends on if Carson Wentz can play. If Jacob Eason's playing quarterback, mm-hmm. you obviously love the Titans in that spot. Um, And then you look at where the uh, Seahawks are playing on the road against Minnesota, they're just a one point favorite. So
0: it's, I was just looking at that, Pat, and what a bizarre world, huh? Like even Carson Wentz, who a lot of people in this world think is a bad quarterback at this point in time. I'm not one of those people. I think he has some juice. Obviously, he has his issues for sure. Not going to deny that. He made some bad mistakes. He always makes some bad mistakes, seemingly. But you can better, you better believe, basically, if Wentz is announced as the quarterback. That's not going to be a five-point spread. It's probably going to go down to two and a half or something like that. Uh, even Carson Wentz, who you might think sucks, is worth a, bu- like a handful of points where almost no one else is. And then the Vikings spread there is also crazy, which is going to bring us to the Cardinals-Vikings game we just saw. Seattle only a one-point favorite against the Vikings, who are now 0-2, have played two super tight games. One we think is good. One we thought was really bad. I have no idea what to believe about the, uh, the Vikings here. And, is, and that's
1: where, again, from a betting standpoint, that's where it becomes so tough. I feel like weeks three and four is the are the toughest weeks to bet because you get the overreaction from both sides, yeah. and one bad yeah. result, and one good result. And you're saying, all right, who the fuck is this team here? Right. And, you know, it takes a couple of weeks to figure out who a team really is. Where then, you know, in week nine, if you see an upset, it's just because they played a shit game. Whereas the first three, four weeks, you don't really know. So these these next two weeks are always the toughest.
0: Yeah. And it just so happens that the Vikings are led by Kirk Cousins and Kirk Cousins just does this. He's been consistently inconsistent for as long as he's been a starting quarterback in this league. He'll look awesome. Everyone likes to say that he's average, which he, he nets out at average, but on any given day, he's typically not average. He's usually like really good or really bad. You know what I mean? Like he's not very frequently down the middle and that's, Tending that makes it hard to bet on them now. Granted, I've bet on the Vikings two weeks in a row. I think just based off principle, I have to take a week off. It's not healthy for a human being to bet bet on Kirk Cousins three (laughs) weeks in a row. (laughs) If I like the challenge, maybe uh, I'm one in one and betting on the Vikings this year. I might just have to throw them in there again. Um, but, But also another thing to think about here too. I don't know if you've been hearing this a lot throughout the world of NFL media. There's a push by the analytics people, right? Like the people who really dive into the numbers, understand formation and scheme and all that stuff, but do trust the numbers a lot. How important it is to pass on early downs and pass with success on early downs because even if you're running the ball incredibly efficiently, right? Like five yards a carry, that's fantastic. You could obviously average more yards per pass much easier, right? So a team like the Vikings, a team like the Titans, who now Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, they're so damn important, Right? When you are watching these these games here, are you thinking about that like are you watching the Vikings saying, "Hey, if Dalvin Cook doesn't get going, this team's cooked, like got nothing for it." Like, you know what I'm saying? So, how do you approach watching a team like the Titans and Vikings where it's like, "Damn, they really need Henry and Dalvin Cook to be special, but also they probably can't win a lot of games without the pass game being truly effective?"
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a great point. And you know, if you do, <clears throat> you do go back and look at Minnesota's most recent game. You know, they're a, a, not blowing a field goal yet again away from winning, and they played a pretty complete game, I would say, especially getting off to a good start in the beginning. But yeah, I mean, teams like even now in 2021, where some teams are throwing 40, 45 times a game, it's still super important. You can't abandon the run. Because you have to keep defenses honest. You have to keep um, the defense on the field. Time of possession is such an underrated stat. Look at the time of possession with Tennessee and Seattle. 42 minutes versus 22 minutes. Tennessee did not abandon the run. You're obviously not going to when you have Derrick Henry. He carried the ball 35 times for 182 yards. Seattle's defensive line at the end of that game is fucking gassed trying to not only get off the ball and beat that line of scrimmage from Tennessee, and then also having to tackle one of the baddest motherfuckers on planet earth
0: that wears on (laughs) you.
1: So, yes, it's, you know, when you throw it on first down, yeah, that's great. But that doesn't gas a defense, like running the ball consistently for solid yardage, every two yards, uh, you know, two carries it down like that can do, and look at Minnesota. They ran the ball 27 times in total, 22 carries for Dalvin Cook. You have to get those guys the ball because of, one, how dangerous they can be running it, and, two, it keeps defenses honest and tires them out. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I see your point, but, again, I think for any team that has a good running back, you have to use them, and you have to use them effectively.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where it comes down to balance, right? Yes, Dalvin Cook needs the ball a crap ton. Aaron Jones needs the ball a crap ton. You do also need to pass the ball. Those two things in theory need to help each other and not be, you know, operating separate from one another. Without them working in combination, that's where you don't get the big play action bombs, which are so fun. And they're even huge for a team like Seattle where, you know, they haven't been a great running team for a while now. Chris Carson has had some nice seasons, some nice stretches of seasons. He seems to be banged up a lot. But if you don't if you think about the Seahawks, you don't think about a great run attack for the past four years. You think about Russell Wilson doing a whole lot all the time. So they may need to get more of that going. I'm sure they're trying. Pete Carroll will always go for that, but you got to see these guys sling a little bit as well. So real quick with the Seahawks and Cardinals now. So obviously you've been on the Cardinals. We talked about it the past two weeks here. You bet on them this week. We need to touch on this just a little bit. Are your nerves here for the Cardinals getting a little bit higher after that game? Because obviously the offense looked so incredible but you think about what the defense just did, which was not the same as week one, and then you think about the opponents they played in the first two weeks. Yes, they have an easy opponent coming up in week three, but when you start thinking about inside that NFC West and the ways that those teams can win, the Niners and Rams probably more specifically with defense and pounding the rock a little bit more, Like, are you a little bit more nervous now after that Vikings game with the Cardinals? Or are you still full steam ahead here?
1: No, I'm still full steam ahead. Cause again, I think this is year two with Cliff Kingsbury, you know, this is year two of that system. Um, they still have to, right. Is Cliff Kingsbury second year, right. I'm not, I didn't yes. this year yeah, yeah. for my life. <laughs> yeah. So year two with, uh, with Cliff Kingsbury, you know, they're still kind of getting fully immersed in that system offensively. I think just the fact that um, they, you know, that they they've been able to have as much success as they have, they, um, Actually, I think it is Cliff Kingsbury's third year.
0: Did he? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, he drafted Kyler Murray. Yeah, it's his third yeah, year. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, wow,
1: yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally totally was missing. COVID year, it anyway. doesn't count. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> third season with Cliff Kingsbury. So, you know, again, they have, you know, the offense is, is pretty well-oiled now. You know, when you have to, you know, you got to work A.J. Green into that. You have to continue to work Christian Kirk and Isabella and, and Hopkins. You know, for the most part, it's pretty solid. It's pretty set in stone. But, you know, I think you give another year for this defense to grow and mature. Like the biggest thing with them is their secondary. And you saw that weakness, you know, even, even though Minnesota's a run first team, Kirk cousins, Thielen and Jefferson had a, had a pretty huge game. Right. So like, that's, that's where they need to continue to learn and mature is on the defensive side of the football more so than anything else. And then along with, you know, now Murray in his third year, get a full year out of him. He's matured, I think a lot from his first two seasons. Um, and you know, I, I think this is the year where he can put a full, complete year together. So, yeah, I think even in year three here with Kingsbury, Arizona is still learning. They've got some things to learn. I think they're going to continue to get better. And, I, again, that's why I picked him, I think, as a, as a dark horse to get to the NFC title game. So that coupled with the fact that, like we said, we've seen games like this out of Seattle. I just don't think Seattle is that great, that dangerous of a team anymore. And, you know, again, the 49ers – they were completely injured on both sides of the football last year. So you don't know, I think, yet just what type of team they're going to be. Obviously, they've gotten off to a fantastic start, but I wouldn't be sold on them getting back to the Super Bowl, the NFC title game. And then you've got the Rams, who I think probably are the most dangerous team in this division right now. But again, we've seen that offense, even though it was under golf, we've seen that offense go through some really dry spells at times um, even under McVay. So again, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to stick by Arizona here. I think it's early, even though they are in the most dangerous division in football. And I think the, you know, you give them a full year. I think this team's going to be really complete by the end of it.
0: The two West divisions, man, I'll tell you what, they're both pretty, pretty damn crazy. Uh, the Rams though, even though the headlines are Cooper cup had two touchdowns and they win again, the offense wasn't special there. I mean, the culture, a solid team top to bottom, you know, good roster, but The offense for the Rams didn't look that special, but I'll I'll tell you what makes me nervous about the Cardinals. And I don't know if this is a nitpick or if this is even a real criticism here, but there's such a reliance on Kyler Murray to be spectacular seemingly, which he has been two weeks in a row here. And he probably will be for a lot of weeks. He probably will be right. More often than not, we're expecting him to be really freaking awesome. It makes sense. He's incredibly talented. He's got a hose and he's incredibly fast. Right. Right. But it's so Kyler-oriented to be successful for them on offense right now that it makes me nervous that there, there can't be a game where he's slightly off or there can't be a game where the defense slightly has his number a little bit because the run game is basically just not there without his running. His running, obviously, a part of that, right? So when I think about the Cardinals offensively and being this offensive juggernaut, I get nervous that it's too much on his shoulders whereas you think about you know Patrick Mahomes being one of the only guys uh who might be able to keep up that level of spectacular and Aaron Rodgers is the same even Aaron Rodgers has Aaron Jones and Tom Bra- I mean wow, I can't even talk about Tom Brady but you think about the top offenses in the league there's usually a great safety outlet for them as well like it's it's just hard for me to fathom 16 or 17 weeks now 17 games with no slip ups with no uh, obviously, you know, you're going to lose a couple of games, but without bumps in the road and without teams starting to figure out what they're trying to do and keep him inside the pocket or whatever it may be. So there's a reliance on him to be spectacular that makes me a little bit hesitant when they start facing off the best competition in the league, which they're about to, two times each in their own division, right? So that's the one pause I have. But watching them, it's insane, dude. Like the way he moves around the football field is just not right. It's a fake player in Madden. That's what it is when you watch Kyler Murray. The way his feet move, the way he can throw the ball from all these angles, chuck it off his back foot, jumping, like, it's it's insanely fun to watch, but there's a little part of me that has hesitance to trust it for 17 weeks.
1: Yeah, I hear you, and you know what? I, I think they are. They have been a little bit more committed to the run game this year. Now that they've got the duo of chase Ed- chase Edmonds and James Conner, mm. And, you know, look, when you throw Kyler Murray and his ability to run the ball too, that's going to bump up their average yards per carry no matter oh, yeah. what, but even when they do run the ball, they are averaging four and a half yards per carry right now, which is pretty solid. So they're, you know, they're, they're not obviously going to commit to the run game as much as a Tennessee or as much as a Minnesota, but their run game has been pretty solid. And uh, you know, they upgraded the offensive line a little bit as well. They've got, um, you know, so I, I think they are more inclined, uh, to protect, to protect Kyler Murray on the line this year with, you know, Humphreys and Beecham on the tackles. Um, and again, I think they are a little bit more committed to the run this year. They have to be, they can't rely on, on Kyler Murray. And I think, you know, if, uh, Cliff Kingsbury is listening to us right now here, or listening to us on this podcast, up, Cliff? maybe he goes, you know, maybe he goes, yeah, you know what? That Pete Kennedy makes a good point. I got to remember, I got to. I have to have a balanced offense. I can't rely totally on Kyler Murray because we've seen it at times. Right. We saw him get off to an MVP level start. And then you saw them, you saw that over-reliance and that's when you see the force throws. That's when you see him carry the ball more than he should. Like we saw Lamar Jackson do against the Vegas Raiders without yes. a run game, without his, you know, starting without his two best running backs in that first week without them. So you're right. It is going to be important for them to not over-rely on him. And right. I, I, I would trust Cliff Kingsbury that they're not going to.
0: We shall see how that plays out. He just make sure he doesn't get big hits. That's huge for him. It's absolutely huge for him. But let's talk about yeah, the Yeah, well,
1: I think, and that, yeah, it's another thing. You know, when you see him, he is he's pretty good at sliding. Yeah, you know, he doesn't take a lot of hits. He can't. I mean, he's not he's not big enough to do that. So he understands that. I think he, you know, you see him scamper out of bounds a lot. You see him go down and slide. I think he has, you know, really done a good job since he came in here as a rookie of knowing when to give himself up.
0: Yeah, I love the back and forth between him and uh Chandler Jones right now. It's absolutely fantastic. It com- is it's hilarious. <laughs> hey, follow me back too. Imagine you didn't
1: even follow you didn't even follow his own teammates. <laughs> so many guys, you know, I mean, you can't
0: can't keep tabs on everybody. But
1: that is true. You have a performance like Chandler Jones does, I'd be following his ass if yeah. I was on that team and I didn't before that. Ain't that the truth, yeah. crazy. And they got I'd be hey. looking for some, I'd be looking for some clout after the game. You know, hey, yo, get a pick with me in the locker room. Right. <laughs> Post on the story, he sees, he sees boy Yo, a repost, piece.
0: repost me. Come on. I need to get exactly. my, f- my followers up. <laughs> <laughs> but another guy who is in the same ilk as Kyler Murray in regards to the team's reliance on them being spectacular, Lamar Jackson, the Ravens. He was spectacular here on Sunday night against the chiefs. There's obvious nerves there as well as the season goes on and he takes more hits and defenses start to calm down a little bit, maybe figure out a way. You know, that's another thing we can get into about every single year for the past three years now that the league's figured out Lamar Jackson. I haven't seen it yet. Everybody has all these takes leading up to the season that the league's going to figure him out. I haven't really seen it yet. Uh, so he was off the charts good. It's really the reason, maybe I'm being a hypocrite here, it's the reason I bet on Lamar at MVP, for MVP here. Because they're needs to be such a reliance on him because he doesn't have the running backs anymore. He doesn't even have the receiving core that Kyler Murray has. So when the Ravens offense goes, there's no other way than to go without Lamar Jackson, literally. Because even their run game is so predicated on the motion and the traps and the counters that they were running, which were insane. The Chiefs uh, linebackers and D-linemen look lost out there a lot of the times on Sunday. So with that being said, I should probably be a little nervous about him too, huh? But I'm feeling good. I'm feeling frisky about the Ravens and their juice right now. I'm feeling like Lamar is locked in as ever to make plays. But what should a realistic ceiling be for the Ravens now? We obviously aren't burying those guys. That's silly. But I don't think it was crazy to be like, oh, they were the favorite for the division. Now they're definitely not the favorite. Is that just where we land? They're they're a wild card hopeful. Or do you think they could get higher than that?
1: Well, you know, being a Cleveland Browns fan, I think hey we now, see hey how, how good how good of a start the Brownies are off to, and they're a legitimate threat. And then question Baltimore's marks there though.
0: Tyrod, come on now. He was he was stunting on you guys a little bit.
1: Yeah, well, look, you know, it's easy to see all the drama that's gone on in Houston this year and say, oh, they're fucking toast. They're going to go in 17 because Deshaun Watson's not playing. And people also forget Tyron Taylor is a decent quarterback yeah. that has had his last two jobs taken away from him because of an injury. And then because of a fucking team doctor stabbing him in the fucking lungs. And, and like, like literally. Let's, let, let's be honest. You know, he, I, am I saying Tyrod Taylor's been a great quarterback by any stretch? No, but he's a serviceable, good – I mean, he's, a, he's been a starting quarterback to start the year the last three teams he's been on for a reason because he knows how to get the job done. He knows how to, you know, give you a good offense to start with. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not worried about Houston keeping that game close. Would I have been worried if he didn't get injured? Who knows what that result might have been? Uh, maybe we're looking at a completely different story, but yeah, look, to go back to Baltimore, they're going to have to play the Browns twice. You know, as much as I, I like to shit on Pittsburgh, you know, can you really, can you count on Baltimore to beat Pittsburgh two games out of two? Like it's nothing. Ah, uh, you got that, and and you know their other schedule. Like they've got to play Denver on the road. They've got to play the Chargers. They've got to play the Colts. They've got to play the Dolphins on the road. They've got to play the Packers. They've got to play the Rams. Oof. So they have, you know, ever you can you can go through that, and everybody's got a lot of tough games. But they definitely do have some tough games. They play in a tough division. It's no longer just uh, easy two wins uh, every time against Cincinnati now. Here as Burroughs in his second year, so I, uh, I I think that coupled with the fact again that you lost your two running backs probably for the year and you lost one of the best corners for the year I think it definitely does have an impact on Baltimore as a whole and um, you know again it, it seems like they're a team too that the last couple of years they've been so great in the regular season they get to the postseason can't put it together so until they get that monkey off their back that's going to follow them and I, I think Baltimore's ceiling is the AFC title game if they really ball out um, I don't think they'll get there I think that is the ceiling though I don't see this team going to the Super Bowl
0: I'm, I'm with you there. And I do want to read one stat that I heard on the broadcast, and I actually just had to go online and double check it myself because it was quite insane to, like, hear it, really. Lamar Jackson, as a starter, going into Sunday night was 30-8, right? So now he's 31-8. and eight. He was 30-5 against all non-Kansas City Chief opponents, and he was 0-3 yeah. against the Chiefs. This man has straight up just not lost, really, in in the league. 30-5 and five over the course of, uh, well, I guess, uh, including the Raiders lost three years in one game, which is just absolutely silly. Now, he got the Chiefs' wrench off his back and is now looking a little bit more confidently at that tough schedule, right? Because if they go down 0-2, there's a way to look at the Ravens' rest of the season where there's a little bit more nerves. It's like, damn, they're already down 0-2. They're going to be playing some desperation football. It could get ugly quick. All of a sudden, if they slip up, in the next couple weeks, like if they're mm-hmm. looking at two and four, like, Oh my God, they can't get back in this division. That one win over the chiefs was so big for the monkey off the back beating oh, yeah. the, for the first uh, win over the chiefs. And then just setting themselves up to be competitive here. If they do happen to slip up another game in the next couple weeks and they're still nearby. So it was absolutely huge. Was there anything with the Ravens besides Lamar Jackson, and his spectacularness that jumped out to you though, in that Sunday night game?
1: um no I mean obviously he was fantastic you know when you can have a guy like you said teams think they have Lamar Jackson figured out when you got a guy that can throw the ball 26 times run it 16 times and you you know you're just as worried that he's going to pick up you know significant yardage either way he's doing it it's tough to say you have that guy figured out Uh, I think that the fact too that you know just in the second game Tyson Williams and Latavius Murray combined for 113 yards That certainly certainly helps as well, you know, when you're getting significant yardage on the ground from your third and fourth string running backs going into the season or a guy that you signed, you know, just a week and a half ago after he gets cut by the Saints plus a rookie running back. So I think that, the fact – and then the biggest thing for, I think, Baltimore as well with the offense, not having to rely on Lamar Jackson to do it all himself is having your receivers help you out. And I feel like, you know, Hollywood Brown and – and um. You know, DuVernay, like those guys have kind of underperformed over the last couple of years, especially Hollywood Brown, who people look at as their number one receiver. And I think through the first couple of years with him, he hasn't been that stud number one receiver that other teams have. So I think the fact that he had a huge game obviously helps. And, uh, you know, Baltimore just getting as many other weapons around Lamar that they possibly can is what's going to make them ultimately as dangerous as possible. Because when you you know you're Kansas City, you're playing Kansas City. You have to account for Mahomes. You have to account for Tyreek Hill. You have to account for Nicole Harmon. You have to account for Kelsey, and you have to account for Clyde edwards hilaire when you know when he's not fumbling the ball. When you're already in goddamn field goal range to give me a five and zero week,
0: <laughs> <laughs> not better at all.
1: Yeah, but again, you know because we know they probably got the best defensive coordinator in the sport with Wayne Martindale, and that defense has been absolutely phenomenal. So holding that as a constant. Again, if if Hollywood Brown and Baltimore's other weapons can be that much more dangerous, they're going to be they're going to be, you know, they, maybe they could get to the Super Bowl if they really put everything together.
0: I hope so, man. I have a I got to shout out a coworker of mine, big Ravens fan. He has this chip on his shoulder, and I don't know I don't know if it's fair or unfair. I want to hear what you think about this. He has a chip on his shoulder that he feels like way too many people hate on Lamar Jackson. I don't know if I hear that many people hating on Lamar Jackson, but I definitely Hear the pushback. My pushback to his pushback would be when you are at the level of a Lamar Jackson, a Patrick Mahomes, a Kyler Murray, now even, you get criticized differently, right? You know, you don't get criticized like Kirk Cousins, or even though know, he kind of did because he got paid a lot, but you know what I'm trying to say. You don't get criticized as a mid tier quarterback the way yeah. you do when you're peaking up the top 10, 8, 6, 5 range, right? So yeah, exactly. when you think about Lamar from the public eye, do you think about a lot of hate or do you think about support? I personally like love the dude watching him plays insane. I pull from very, very hard, but do you think he gets a lot of hate? And is it warranted? Like, where do you land on that, on that line?
1: I I'd say he, he used to get a lot of hate as a guy that is, you know, the classic, Oh, not a good thrower. The football, he's only a one dimensional quarterback. I think he shut a lot of people the hell up with that over the last year now um hopefully that's still hopefully that take is you know as Marcus Stroman likes to say poo poo take hopefully that's kind of retired by a lot of people now when we've seen the performances he's had um so I think now that that has kind of simmered down there's not a ton of hate anymore for Lamar Jackson other than games like we saw last night couldn't beat the Chiefs well there's another nice little shush for Lamar Jackson to say that he finally did that, you know, get the monkey off his back. We we've heard that how many times in the last day now when he, with him beating the chiefs. So uh, I, I think it was another big statement game from him last uh, on Sunday night. The fact that he had a game against a team that he couldn't beat against the best quarterback in the world, against the best team on, in the NFL. And they finally did it. Um, and I think it was another big step towards silencing a lot of haters that are, are still out there for Lamar.
0: Very good. So let's move on to, two more teams. We could go quickly here because I don't know if there's much to say. It's the saints and the Packers, the saint, they played week one. We know what happened. The Packers were terrible. The saints looked awesome. Um, similar passing totals outside of the touchdowns for Jameis Winston. Not a lot of attempts, not a lot of completions this time, just not five touchdowns, not a bunch of picks on the other side from Aaron Rodgers just slinging it up there. The saints, like, do we just have no clue? what they're going to look like now for the next couple of weeks. Like, do you have any semblance of expectation for this saints team? Like when it was the last time Aaron, Alvin Kamara got shut down like that, like, you know what I'm saying? So when you think about the new Orleans saints right now, so much love in week one, no love in week two, do you even have a remote idea on how to predict what they're going to look like for the next three weeks? Even I don't even want to project the whole season, just the next like two or three weeks.
1: No, I don't think you can because there's so many variables that go into it. And first and foremost is Jameis Winston. You know, I tweeted out, Pete, where are all those sorry ass apology? Jameis Winston apology form tweets. People thinking that all of a sudden, you know, he's going to go to New Orleans and be a world-class quarterback. You know, you're talking about a guy that with the Tampa Bay offense that they had was throwing 30 plus interceptions in a season. So he's always going to be turnover prone. That's there. That's never going to not be a thing. However, Can he mature and learn a little bit since his time in Tampa Bay? Absolutely. And being under, you know, Sean Payton will help you do that. I think week one, his ability to help his team step on Green Bay's throats and not let them back into the game was a good sign for him. But then again, we saw just, you know, against Carolina, they got down early and then it was same old Jameis, you know, trying to force throws, you know, that one throw he made was absolutely egregious. There was nobody even in the area. I think it was the pick in the end zone. So there is that with Jameis Winston, you know, you don't know, I still, I still think you don't know to a certain degree, what you're going to get out of him on a week to week basis. And the fact that he doesn't have Michael Thomas obviously doesn't help. Um, Then the second big thing is, you know, the new Orleans defense has always seemed to be a consistent variable that I feel like never gets enough credit. Um, But you know, they can only do so much. And I think the third big thing is, again, it wasn't a major storyline going into the season, but I think the Carolina Panthers have gotten themselves quite a, a, quite a nice little defense going on there for themselves here through these first two weeks. I think Utergros Matos as basically their backup pass rusher has been phenomenal. Brian Burns is great. You know, a linebacking crew that has Hassan Reddick and Shaq Thompson's good. And then they've got a young secondary, you know, Jeremy Chin made some big plays Dante Jackson, AJ Bouye. So They've got a nice little defense there that not a lot of people are talking about. And I think they uh, they really should start uh, getting some some credit that they deserve. So, again, it's, you know, it's an ocean of variables that then makes a team like New Orleans so tough to predict, I think, going forward until you really see them in action for, you know, seven to eight games.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Good call on the Panthers as well. If you think back to last year, they had these, you know, back-to-back-to-back, one-score games just in it. Every single week, and this couldn't get over the hump. They're two zero. They go to the Texans on Thursday night with a chance to go three and zero. Their favorite here again, and just based off, it, it, just say so you didn't even know who they were playing. If you said, "Oh, Panthers start three and it's like really damn. Like you wouldn't see that coming, and it's not even a full testament to Sam Darnold. It's not like he's been incredible. He's been solid it's at the best. That rule effect. And, and they, they look, they look inspired. They look good out there, and uh, it does help to get a all. World running back Christian McCaffrey back and healthy. God, does he look good again?
1: Oh my God, he is so good. He is he is unbelievable, dude. He had ninety-eight and eighty-eight, I think, receiving and uh, rushing and receiving his first week, and then this last week he had seventy-two and sixty-five. So he's a threat to go. You know, 150-plus rushing and receiving yards every single time he steps on the field. He's fast. He's strong. He knows the game well. That offense, Matt Rule has done a great job of getting that offense to be built around him. And then, again, if Darnold can – I hate using this term. I hate hate this cliche. You know, the game manager. But Sam Darnold, look, he's not going to blow anybody off the field. He's not going to blow anybody away. He was set up for failure with the New York Jets. I still think he's a decent quarterback. But his job as the quarterback of that team, his primary focus should be to not turn the ball over to not turn the ball over, give it to McCaffrey and, uh, and let him pick up four or five yards of carry use him in the passing game and you know, occasionally hit more and, and, and uh, Robbie Anderson down the field when they're open. But I, I think this is a Carolina Panthers team. That's going to start leaning on that defense just as much as they do their offense. And uh, again, Matt rule, you know, it's another guy the giants missed on uh, to hire as a head coach a couple of years ago. He's a guy that has taken over for shit teams everywhere. He's gone mostly in college But he Temple, Baylor, and now the Carolina Panthers, he took a couple of teams that were terrible before he got there, and already in two, three years, he makes them winners. I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, the influence he has.
0: Yeah, very impressive stuff, and that'll segue us to our next segment um, because I was going to talk about the Packers, but there's nothing to say. Packers looked great tonight on offense. They did exactly what we thought they were going to do, you and I. Put up a bunch of points, and Aaron Rodgers was going to look possessed, which he did. So I don't really have anything to say about the Packers. Anybody who was truly, truly worried about the Packers, all power to you. I was not ready to give up on them after a week. And that's all I have to say about that. So let's segue from Sam Darnold to the Jets and talk about their quarterbacks. I think you and I both have a take on that front, right? Sam Darnold looks good now in Carolina. The uh, Jets play the Patriots. You and I both picked the Patriots in our teasers in one of our five picks uh, over the weekend. We both hit on it. And we both stated simply as everybody who ever talks on media about football says the Patriots are awesome against rookie quarterbacks. And yet Pat Jets fans and media members alike are out here freaking out about Zach Wilson's terrible performance against the Patriots. Why are we shocked? And why are we trying to give up on this guy after this second week where after week one, even though they lost to a defense we're now looking at as pretty good We liked what Zach Wilson did. Now we're going to say he's bad. He can't play. He looked rattled. He looked uncomfortable. Miss me with all of that. We've been giving Daniel Jones a leash for three years. We're going to take away Zach Wilson's leash after two games. No, that is not how you be a fan. That is not how you assess a quarterback after two games. I don't want to hear none of that, Pat. How did you feel after, you know, you and I both won that bet, but how did you feel about the Zach Wilson narrative post that game?
1: It's just it's a it's a rookie quarterback that's playing a, a head coach that dominates games like these And they got down early and he tried to make, he tried to do too much. And that's what happens when you get a rookie quarterback that hasn't matured yet. And you get a rookie quarterback that plays against a coach that knows what types of schemes and blitzes and fake blitzes and fake coverages and fake zones that he has never seen before, especially playing at a smaller school like BYU. He has never seen these types of things before in an NFL game. So when you throw them at him, of course, it's going to confuse the fuck out of him. And yes, You have that as the main variable. One, he was going to have a poor game, I think, no matter what. Two, you got the fact that, I guess, said it all year, Jets fans better slow the brakes. They better, you know, all gas, no brakes. You better pump the brakes on expectations with this offense because the offensive line is terrible, and you lost your best lineman going into this game, and he's going to be out for another four to five weeks at least. So no Becton. Going up against Belichick, throwing stuff at, at Wilson he's never seen before. And three, the fact that they get down early, then he's going to try to do too much. Okay, look, he did, made some terrible throws. He, I think he learned real quick. You can't throw the ball up for grabs. That is a learning big learning step for him. Second ever NFL game. It's not going to come quickly. And I think the fact that he had such a good second half against Carolina after he was put into the, put into the turf four or five, six times in the first half made you think like, Oh, wow, this kid, you know, great slow first half, but he's already, you know, hit the ground running here and he's going to go and He's going to take that momentum and build off the confidence. That's I, I heard that by everybody who picked the jets going into this Sunday. Oh, you know, he, I think he's got a lot of momentum. He's building off of no. No, it's a, it's a different game. It's a different team. It's a different defense he played and one half to another shouldn't, you know, just completely cloud your judgment. So it's his second NFL game. Give the kid some time. He has, he has to learn things. He has to go through the tape and say, wow, now I know what to do with that next time. When I see it, I still think he's got a great arm. Look, am I saying he's going to be a great quarterback? Who knows? Maybe he will continue to make these mistakes throughout his career, but it's too early to tell. It's way too early to tell and you can't let a game that bill Belichick has owned consistently history repeats itself in a lot of forms. And it does so with bill Belichick against rookie quarterbacks, 22 and six against rookie QBs. So we need to relax. We need to give Zach Wilson some time here.
0: Absolutely. And we just talked about Daniel Jones last week, how he needs an offensive coordinator and a coach to help, you know, push him out of his shell and take those big play risks that he doesn't take maybe enough. And when he does throw the ball down the field, they have success. Zach Wilson's probably the opposite, where he's ready to throw the ball downfield to a fault, right? So he okay. needs to be reeled in a little bit. Yeah, he and- said
1: it's okay to play boring football. That's what Salah
0: told him. Exactly. And that's a great, a great line from Salah. The one thing I didn't hear from Zach Wilson, he might have said something similar, but if I was Zach Wilson in that post-game press conference, which, you know, I'm nobody, but hey, this is what I was thinking. You go into that press conference and you say, I plan on playing the Patriots 20 times in the next 10 years. If this one didn't go my way, I got a whole lot of more opportunities to beat them, to figure it out, to get over the hump, right? Like if you're Zach Wilson, you got to look the New York media in the eyes and say, I plan on being here for 15 years. I'm going to play the Patriots 30 times in my career. I ain't worried about week one against the Patriots, week two, whatever. Right. That's the mindset you have to have. I think Zach Wilson has that mindset. He has to figure out how to communicate it, being in New York, and then how to reel in when he needs to reel in. I ain't worried. Let's move on. Real quick point. (laughs) I just wanted to put this stat out there before we go to no regrets. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Crazy so far. Gronk, four touchdowns. Brady, nine touchdowns. Insane. Did you know, Pat, that Tom Brady threw the ball past the sticks on over 50% of his pass attempts this week?
1: Yeah, but he's he's you know, he's lost it, right?
0: Oh my he's god. Lost. Can can you think about that? How many times do we complain about quarterbacks who throw the ball four yards on third and nine? And Tom Brady threw the ball year old
1: fucking stud, doing it every time almost.
0: Over fifty percent of the time he threw the ball past the sticks. It's insane. That's crazy. I just want to say that. All right, let's move on to our last segment. It's my new favorite segment. It's called No Regrets. We get to play this great sound. I regret nothing. Where we go through our picks and our takes and our thoughts about the week that we just saw. And we decide if there's any regrets out there for us, Pat, if there's any regrets in the picks, or if there's some picks we made that we may have lost, that we feel like we trusted the process and we would make that pick again. So, Pat, any regrets for you? Or are you sitting out there with no regrets tattooed across your chest?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I I really don't regret much. You know, I don't want to sound completely cocky, but again, the Chiefs, as well as Baltimore did play, I didn't think they'd keep it that close. Um, but, you know, again, Clyde Edwards-Alaire holds on to the goddamn football. They win that game, barring a, a missed field goal. But uh, I, I think, you know, Baltimore played great. I still think Kansas City was good enough to win that game. I still like where Kansas City is. I'm still going to bet on them a ton this year, as is everybody and their mother. So I don't regret that. And just going back a little bit, I know it's been a while since that game went down, but Thursday night with the Giants, I don't regret being a big Daniel Jones supporter. I don't regret backing the Giants. I took them to cover. I took them. I said they were going to win the game outright. Again, they should have done that barring a last second Dexter Lawrence. Absolute fuck up. But yeah, I really, there wasn't much, there wasn't much to regret. You know, I, I liked a lot of the games that I laid off of. Um, just in terms of like the straight spread, I didn't take any of the big ones. I didn't take the Browns. I didn't take the Bucks. The Browns didn't cover. The Buccaneers did, and the Packers did. So you hit two out of three on those big spreads. But, um, you know, some of the other games I laid off, I'm just looking here really quickly, uh, was the Eagles. I thought the Eagles could maybe pull off the win against the 49ers, but I wasn't going to bet it. I'm glad I didn't. I thought the Dolphins maybe could give the Bills a little bit of trouble. Uh, but once Tua went out, that was done. So yeah, not, not, a, not a ton of regrets for me. And, you know, the, I gave out some picks on my fan show over the weekend where, you know, if you're doing like a, a sports radio show, I feel like you just go against the spread. So it was basically my teasers that I did, but it was the spreads themselves. So I only ended up going two and three because I lost on the Rams, winning by three instead of four, I lost on the Cardinals, winning by one instead of four. And I lost on the Chiefs, who, you know, lost outright. So, you know, but overall, no, no regrets really out of me for this week. I'm sure I'll have some here going forward, though, in week three.
0: Great job by you, Pat. One more time. Four and one for Patty Boyle. Four and one for Pete Kennedy. The Packers did yes, finish sir. up the minus six teaser. We got eight and two combined in week two. That brings us to... Let me do some math. I can't. Twelve. I we nope. went
1: five and five week one. So we should be uh, 13 and...
0: Now we went four and six. Four and six and eight and two. Twelve and... Twelve and eight. Twelve and eight. That's pretty good. Pretty good so far. For my no regrets, first of all, I want to say... I also regret laying, I don't regret laying off a handful of games there. Of the six teams that covered the spread by the most points in week one, five of them did not cover uh, in week two. So the only team that had a big, uh, big win in week one, according to the spread against the spread, that actually covered in week two was the Texans, who had a 13-point uh, cushion to play with there. They lost by 10. All the other teams that had big week ones, the Steelers, uh, who else was, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking here now for a second, the Steelers, the Cardinals, a couple other teams here. Oh, the Saints, that was the big one as well. The Saints, they all c- mm-hmm. covered by a large margin in week the, one. And the Rams. And the Rams, and they did not cover in week two. So riding the hot hand two weeks in a row did not prove worthwhile here. So I do not regret going back to the well in week two for some of those guys who looked great in week one. Um, but after that, My loss this week was the Rams. Actually, so I did do that. (laughs) Just just went through how I didn't pick any of those teams. I did pick one of those teams. I picked the Rams. I don't (laughs) don't regret it. (laughs) But it's all good. Um, My only regret here, Pat, that I do have is being in five fantasy leagues. Oh, my God. I knew going in that it was going to be a lot, and it is a lot. Let me tell you. Three is the perfect number. Four is a little bit too much. Five is just egregious. So let me read this to you real quick. I played a good friend of the show, good friend of you and I, Dave Rondesco, a.k.a. Dad, in Fantasy this week. And it's a half-point PPR It's a Keeper League, and it's only one flex. I lost by 116 points, Pat.
1: Jeez. (laughs) Yeah, well, he fucking put up, like, what, 210, you said?
0: He had 212 on his team. Russell Wilson averaged 23. Cooper Cup thirty four, Lockett, twenty eight, Derrick Henry forty five, Aaron Jones thirty nine, and Deontay Johnson with fifteen in his flex twenty from his defense of Buffalo. Oh my god! If I regret one thing, it's five fantasy leagues. I got whomped in that one, man. Oh my god!
1: That's like a re- that's like that's got to be like close to a record though.
0: I don't think I've ever seen more
1: than two hundred put up. Maybe once
0: I've seen two hundred put up in a two flex PPR league, um, a couple times, honestly. It's but that's two flexes full PPR. So you get a full extra wide receiver running back. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, one flex
1: half PPR. That's nearly impossible to do.
0: And he had only 5 points from his tight end and he had 212 points. So, oh my god. All in all, I regret nothing. But I regret facing Daddy Desk in week 2 in fantasy football, man. Oh my god. That's tough. That is tough. But hey, that's week 2, Daddy, man. That's, Daddy's home. Daddy <laughs> Daddy's home. That's right. That's week 2. Any last words for you, Pat Boyle? You're a busy, busy man. Catch Pat Boyle on the fan. Check out his show. You can find it online on the Odyssey app. He'll be producing, board-opping all week at the fan. You, my friend, are a busy-ass dude in show business. I love the grind. How is that grind going for you?
1: It's going well, man. I appreciate that. I appreciate the love. Thank you very much. Yeah, second show over the last weekend. I thought it went pretty well. Um, and yeah, you know, doing some other stuff, got some play-by-play this weekend. So we'll definitely be busy, but I can't wait. We'll jump on, uh, we got to decide how we want to do the picks this, uh, this coming week. Cause I know you worked your ass off and anybody that's a fan of the show should be super impressed and super happy with how you, you produce those videos, the five, one minute videos for all of our picks. I think they came out so well done. So huge shout out to you, man. And I know you're grinding obviously with everything you got going on, uh, with school, um, you know, with your school that you work at and doing all the, uh, your broadcasting there as well. So I appreciate the love. Sending it right back to you, man. Um, that's that's really all I got here. You know, we'll uh, we'll jump back on for some picks. But this, since the, this game will come and pass by the time we, uh, we do get there, I would say look out for Houston. I would say look out for Houston on Thursday night. It's a seven-and-a-half point spread. Probably not going to bet it. But I would not be surprised if Houston
0: covers that game and that comes down
1: to the final minute.
0: Hey, it's a standalone game on Thursday night, so I probably will bet it. I ain't going to lie. I'm not going <laughs> <laughs> to make it an official pick, but I, I'm probably leaning there as well. Um, and if anyone yep. questions Patty Boyle's commitment across the board here to Subway Sports Talk, just know that he did an overnight four-hour show on WFAM and then recorded the picks right there after, what was it, 6.30 in the morning? Looking like yeah. you, you needed a cup of coffee didn't matter. Still brought the heat four and one. Yeah, how, you could tell I hadn't slept. I think my eyes my eyes were a little <laughs> sunken into my
1: face in those videos. But whatever, man, you got to get the people what they want. Uh, yeah, no, if you are gonna bet Thursday, I would suggest the Patty Boyle teaser special. I would say you get that spread to like 11.5-12 for Houston, and get the over under down to like thirty
0: nine. Oh baby, sign me, sign me the hell up. All right, that's all we got. Subway Sports Talk, Pat Boyle, P Kennedy. You know what it is. We got more stuff coming this week. Might do a baseball partial baseball episode midweek here with Andrew and Alex. So more subway sports talk coming your way. If you like the show subscribe rate review, I forget to say that all the time. So I figured throw it in here. Why not? Right. Week two in the books, week three on the way, Pat Boyle, Pete County, subway sports talk. Cheers y'all.